Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Religiosity, How to Make Jesus Mad in Four Easy Steps. This is step one, and we're going to look at something today that made him more mad than anything. So we're going to see the moment where he was the most angry. And I think it's fascinating. There's all kind of times when Jesus walked on the earth where he became very angry. And first, I need to say this for all of us that are Christians. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, he's never going to be mad at you. As a matter of fact, he loves you as much as he loves anybody on the planet. And you need to remember that. But we're looking at this from a perspective that goes like this. If something made Jesus angry in the day in which he walked the earth, it's not going to please him if we do that today, right? So we want to live to please the Lord. And here's what's fascinating. 98% of the time when Jesus was angry, he was angry with the religious leaders of the day. Isn't that interesting? And 2%, there's only 2% remaining, 2% of the time he was angry with his future leaders, the disciples. And every time he was angry with them, he was angry with how they regarded and how they treated unbelievers and young sheep. And it's fascinating when you study it. He was never really mad at the sheep. And uh, because they were following their leaders, so he couldn't blame them, and they needed delivered, right? I want to open up with a Joe story that's going to set up what Jesus was most mad about. And when I was in Bible school, I, um, I loved to go street witnessing. I was a young adult pastor at the church I attended, and I took guys and girls out on the streets, and we would share Christ. So we had gotten so many to accept Christ. Uh, Low-income people is where we went, and street people. So we, we started a Saturday night service. We rented a room at the Y, and we had over about 150 every night or every Saturday, and we fed them and taught them about Jesus. And uh, But Friday night's the night we went out and shared Jesus. So one Friday night, I'm out, and I took two guys that were in Bible school with me, but also part of the church. They had never been on the streets, so they wanted me to take the lead. So I went to a new neighborhood. I thought, this, this, we'll just go somewhere else. And uh, we're walking on these blocks, and we see a house with a red light, and we realize we're in the red light district, and there's three ladies on the porch. And I said, we need to go share Christ. And they're like, well, if someone from school sees us, we're kicked out of school on that porch. And I said, well, I think we'll be kicked out of church too, guys. Um, but we thought these souls are important. So we walk up on the porch and they think we're customers. And, and, and I say, hey, we're not here. If we're not customers. Um, we came to tell you about Jesus. And one of the ladies said, hey, we're not savable. Jesus can't save us. And I said, well, actually, uh, he saved me, and I'm 10 times worse than you'll ever be before I met Jesus. I said, I, didn't, I wasn't in your profession, but I was 10 times worse. And if he saved me, he can save you. And I had their attention. And uh, so I shared the good news with them, and they wanted to pray. So we, we prayed, held hands and prayed. The tears coming down their eyes, they accepted Jesus. And I said, we need to get you in church. Uh, and so I took their phone numbers, gave it to some uh, girls that were in our young adult ministry, and they called them, they got them to church. And the first Sunday they came to church, I, it was an eye-opener for me, because this is 82, and every, all guys wore suits and ties, and ladies wore dresses. And these ladies come in in jeans and tops that aren't as appropriate as they could be. And, and uh, 
they stood out and, and the people were not happy they were there. They were upset and I thought they'd be so happy. And then a couple of the associate pastors were also angry with me. Like, what are you doing bringing these people here? And, and thankfully my direct report, the executive pastor, he was excited they had accepted Christ. Um, but I noticed something and then I had a conversation with the outreach pastor and he said, you know, we don't need to get out on the streets. We have all the people here uh, that we need. And they would do altar calls at the end of the service, but they wanted the fish cleaned and filleted before. They, 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 they did not want this kind of fish coming into the church. And I learned something. And, and, and the first thing that made Jesus mad, guys, the thing that made him the most angry was them denying access to people that didn't believe and not giving them an opportunity to meet the God of Israel, or we know now as Jesus, right? So um, I want to show you what made Jesus mad. And by the way, he was allowed to be mad, and we're allowed to be angry. Anger is not a sin. It's an emotion that you have in a human body. And I, I thought for the first lesson, we'd read this scripture, Ephesians 4.26. Be angry without sinning. Don't go to bed angry. And the reason you want to deal with your anger and your strong emotions uh, if you don't and you keep them too long, it will destroy your mental health and also your physical health. It's not good for us. But I like the first part, be angry without sinning. So anger is not a sin. It's what we do with it that's a sin. So an example, if I'm watching the news and I hear something that makes me really angry, um, how do I react? If I begin to cuss at the TV screen and Gina's screaming because I'm cussing at the screen... Um, that's sinning, right? For me, that would be quite a sin. And, uh, but if I see it and I have the same exact anger and I say, Father, if this is fixable, fix it. And then I always pray this. But Lord, if we're in the last days and it has to happen, I need grace so I can live with this. You need to give the church grace, right? And, and I'm still angry, but I need some grace, God. I need some grace. So anger is okay. And we're going to find out that Jesus became angry quite a bit, but he never sinned. He was the son of God. He never, ever, ever sinned. So I have a big idea for each lesson. And my big idea is what I want us to walk out understanding more clearly than ever. And I made our big idea the, the four steps. So this is step one. If you want to make Jesus mad, make, pay attention, all right? Here, here's what we do. Make the church a club, not a community. Now, community means we're open to the public. Everybody's welcome. And we all know what a club is, right? So give, give you an example. I, I grew up in humble, a humble life. My, my dad and mom, we had a 1,600-square-foot ranch, three bedrooms. Four, four of us boys slept in one bedroom. Three of us boys slept in another, and then mom and dad. And dad made decent money, but seven boys, you don't have any left. And so we just didn't grow up well-to-do. And I remember about 20 years ago, my aunt and uncle lived in Orange County, California. They asked me if I'd come out and renew their 50th wedding vows. And I said, sure. I wanted to go see other family out there too. And uh, her daughter and son-in-law, they belonged to a country club. And I had never been in a country club at that time in my life. And their dues were 60000 a year. And then they had to pay 1500 a month just on top of that. And that was blowing my gaskets, right? Like, you have that much money to throw away? And, 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 but here, here's, what really, here's what really hit me. Here, and, and I'm not against people being wealthy, but here's what really hit me. I felt so out of place. I mean, my suit and tie and my shoes and everything had to cost about $300. It was a men's warehouse special, right? And, and the, the help was dressed 10 times nicer than I was, right? 
And so I, we, did a, we used a room there, and the meal was awesome, but I just I didn't feel like I belonged. And that's a weird feeling, and we don't want people to walk into church with, with that type of feeling, and I think churches can do that really easily. I do want to say up front, I think we do pretty well as a church and on this subject we're talking about. So I'm not trying to teach down on us, but also as individuals, we want to make sure we don't allow these attitudes to slip into our heart that made Jesus really mad. So are you ready for our text? It's Mark 11:15, and it reads like this. When they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying on the temple grounds, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple grounds. So most of us, we don't go down to the next verse, we will in a moment, and we think this is all about them selling product in church, but it's not. Now, he wasn't happy with some things, and I'll explain what he wasn't happy with as we go down a little further, but here's what's fascinating. This is uh, the day after Palm Sunday. So this is like six days before Jesus died on the cross or maybe four, but it's just before he died. So he just came in, the palm branches, he's on a donkey, the Lexus of his day, you know, and they're like, you're the king, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and then uh, he walks in the temple after that and he takes a look at the temple. Then they go back to Bethany and they sleep. Then in the morning, uh, he comes back and he curses the fig tree and then they walk in the town the day after Palm Sunday, and he goes in the temple. So he had all night to, to brew over this. He was angry when he walked in the night before, and that's when he begins to turn the tables over. But do you know, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's synoptic gospels, but do you know in John, when he did it in John and he made a whip there, uh, it was at the beginning of his ministry. So John was three years before this happened, and they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Three years passed, and they made no changes. So he was very, very angry with them. But it wasn't with just what they were selling and how they were selling it. We'll talk about that. But here's what made him the most angry, verse 17. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer? You see what I emphasized? For all the nations. And they were denying access to anybody that wasn't Jewish. And we're going to find out when we talk about culture, uh, uh, temple culture. And this is a quote from Isaiah 56, 7, which we'll read before we close. But listen to this. But you have made it a den of robbers. And we have to ask, what den is he referring to? It's really, really important to understand what he's saying. So this is about temple culture. And the Bible has so many cultural things in it. You know, Romans 16, 16, do you know what it says, guys? It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And uh, did we do that today? Did we do this? Did we greet one another with a holy kiss pre-COVID? I'm going to say, no, no, we didn't. What do we do? What's our culture here in America? The right shoulder hug. Like, hey, how you doing, right? Not a front hug, but then, hmm, bless you. Or a handshake, right? That's what we do in America. But when I was in Italy teaching at my brother's Bible school years and years ago, it's the first time I went, we're in Sicily, he pioneered three Bible schools, Rome, Sicily, and near Milano, and then Singapore, now he's in Australia. But I go into the night to teach at the Bible school, and the students are walking in, and the men are kissing each other on the cheeks, and the, women are, or the men are kissing the women on the lips, just a quick kiss, and I'm freaked out. And, and uh, so I didn't even give them the side, you know, hey, how you doing? I, good to meet you, good to meet you. <laughs> If I did this, they might kiss my cheeks. And I, 
Can you all agree? It's not our culture. It's just not, it's just weird. And, and yet it was their culture, right? And it was innocent. It's what they did. That's what they did in Bible days. So oftentimes we read a scripture and you and I, haven't we all ignored that one? We have ignored that one, right? Why? Because we just figure that must have been something they did back then, but we're not doing it now. And there's some culture in this temple that is so important to understand. So let's, let's begin to unwrap it and it's going to make sense. Uh, what was the temple like in Jesus' time? So this is Herod's temple. Uh, Solomon's was destroyed, so Herod wanted favor with the Jews, and he built this elaborate temple, very similar to Solomon's. And just so you understand what it was like, it was five football fields long. That's huge, uh, 1,500 feet. And it was three and a third football fields wide. It was 1.5 million square feet. How, how much is 1.5 million square feet? The room I'm standing in right now, including the stage, is 12,000. It was 125 times bigger than this room. That's absolutely huge. And it was broken to compartments. So they had the part that was most important. They had the outer court where the altar was. They had the holy place where the priests and Levites did their thing. And then they had the holies of holies. There was, a, there was a, a, a curtain there, and only the high priest could go in. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where God lived. His presence was actually in there, and that's where it was. And then they built all these rooms around it. So they, they had what I call the Jewish Guys Club. It was just uh, for, for the Jewish Country Club. And, and, and it was just for the men. It was closest to the temple altars and everything. And then they had a place for the ladies, but it was on the second floor. And God is not for that segregation stuff, but that was culture in that day, right? Then they had a room that was called the Gentile court or the court of the Gentiles. And you know what that was for? A Gentile was a non-Jew. That was for non-Jews to come into the temple and to find God and to worship the God of Israel. And so that's important. Now, I'll show you a picture. Take a look at the picture here, guys. You see the main temple, the holy place, the altar, the court of Israel is the, the guys' club right there, the court of the women, second floor. And then you see the Gentiles' court. You, you want to remember the Gentiles' court. That's where non-Jews could come in, buy sacrifices, and give them to God and become converted to Judaism. So let's talk about this so you understand. What, what did Jesus see when he walked in the temple? And, and in Bible days, it was accepted that you could buy animals. There was nothing wrong with that. Some of the Jews came hundreds of miles, and you know, to bring their animal, they might die. They had to feed them. They had to lick, you know, give them liquid. So God didn't mind they bought the animals when they arrived. That was okay. And then they had to pay a, a temple tax, but you had to pay it with temple currency, so they had to exchange their money for temple money. And here's, here's the first thing that made Jesus mad. Not the maddest, but it really made him mad. Uh, they, they were overcharging for the animals. It's like a $6 Coke at a baseball game. Game, right? They were overcharging um, for the, the animals, and then they also were, uh, the exchange rate, they were killing them, overcharging them to exchange their currency. And historians tell us the religious leaders were receiving a cut. They were receiving a cut. So these are Meyer Lansky's relatives, for those of you that watch The Godfather. The, these, these are the relatives of Meyer Lansky, right? Uh, the Jewish mafia. So uh, this is where it all started. And, and Jesus was angry with this, but here's what he was most angry with. You ready? It's where they located it. Do you know where they did all this? In the court of the Gentiles. And they literally denied them access. They could have done it on the other side, the temple court. There's a lot of room over there. They could have done it outside the entrance. But they did it 
right there because they had no regards. They didn't want these people to meet God. It was like kind of like the ladies of the night that accepted Jesus. They didn't want them there. So they, they sold all this stuff and they did all this stuff in their location. And that's the culture we have to understand. So Jesus is most mad. He doesn't like the graph and the cheating, the mafia stuff, but he's turning tables over. He did the whip three years before because they're denying access to people that have not heard about the God of Israel who we knew and we know is Jesus. And that's what made him the maddest. And that's why my big idea is what my big idea is, man. Make the church a club, not a community. And so we have to translate that. And I want you to begin to ask yourself a question. Um, is there anything in your life, if Jesus showed up, that he overturned that table? So maybe your attitude's not where it needs to be towards people that don't know Jesus. Maybe you're angry with them because of how they live their life or how they think and what they believe. Uh, or I always say, Lord, if there's any tables in our church, please show us. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll help you turn them over. I just need to know because sometimes we don't see, we're, we're blinded. But God wants a church to give total access. So we have to ask another question. You guys ready for this? Most of you know the answer. What is God's temple today? And I wanna say up front, God has left the building. He does not live in buildings. Um, so this is not God's house. Borman, you have a beautiful room, but that's not God's house. That's not where he lives. When you leave, he leaves, right? Um, guys at TCI, I, I taught in your room several times. It's a beautiful room where you meet, where your church campus is. But when you leave, God leaves. And so we have to understand, we dedicate a room to God. Uh, when we have our chapel open here at the Warren campus, it will be more churchy, stained glass, pews. Uh, but when we leave, God leaves. He's not living in buildings. And listen to these uh, beautiful texts, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For you are God's temple. That means his holy dwelling place. The home of the living God. And God has said of you, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That is exciting. So uh, guys, God lives in us. So when we come, we bring God and I don't, you know, he's omnipresence. Uh, the Holy Spirit's everywhere all at the same time. My mind can't figure it all out, but we all bring a piece of God with us kind of, right? So when we have corporate worship, that's the most powerful worship on the planet, right? And, and so I worship in the mornings at home and that's a beautiful thing. But the most powerful worship on the planet is when we worship together. So I'm always behind stage during worship, but I'm worshiping back there and I feel that beautiful, strong presence of God is stronger than when I worship at home because we are the temple of God. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's in you. And so you and I can be really excited that God's dwelling in us and so God doesn't care if we sell product in our lobby. He'd be mad if we were, you know, overpricing over, uh, things. He wouldn't be happy with that. That would not please God. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care if the youth uh, ministry sells something or you sign up outside. None of that matters. That's not, Jesus was mad about the location. And I want to make sure you understand it. But let's also show you something else. You know, when Jesus died, something really strategic happened. A lot of things happen strategic, but notice Mark 15, 37. But Jesus let out a loud cry and died, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top 
to bottom. Now, this is the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. That's where God was. That's, that's where the ark was, and the holy place. And it's, it's not by chance that when Jesus died, God made that baby rip from top to bottom. Why? Because God came out of a building, and God now lives in you. And I think, guys, in Borman, TCI here, and Warren online in the chat room, can we just say thank you, God, that you live inside of us? Whoa! So you know what that means. In order for him to live in you, he had to make you holy. And I know we're not perfect. I get that. But... God has sanctified you with the blood of Jesus, and you are holy enough to have God live inside you and not die. That's absolutely amazing what God has done inside each and every one of us. So he's no longer in the building. Jesus is upset because they're denying access to the non-Jews. And here's what he quoted. Take a look at this. Isaiah 56, 7 reads like this. I will bring them also, them is referring to non-Jews, also to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and make them full of joy within my house of prayer. I will accept their sacrifices and offerings. He wants to convert them. For my temple shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And this is what really bothered Jesus. And that's why he quoted, this is a house of prayer for all nations. And you, you have set up your tables so the Gentiles can't even get in, come in and be converted. He was upset they denied access. And it reads on, for the Lord God who brings back the outcast of Israel says, I will bring others too. I'm glad he brought us, right? Besides my people Israel. And through Christ, we have met God. But do you know the heart of God was for the Jewish people to evangelize? And you know what they did? They said, we don't want those people. They don't dress like us. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't have the same political views as us. They just, they're not us. So we so don't want them. We're gonna set up shops so they can't even get in and meet the God of Israel. And so uh, I wanna just, again, ask us, here's the question. Are there any tables God might overturn in our life? Maybe it's just a lack of desire to reach people that don't know Christ. And I know myself, I have to always remind myself, that's the most important reason why we're alive, is to reach people for God and bring them to Christ, invite them to church, invite them online to watch with us. And so many of you are doing this, so I'm not saying this in a negative way, but if it didn't please Jesus then, if it made him angry, it's not gonna please him now if that's not the most important thing in all of our lives to bring people into the kingdom of God. And so here at Believers, we have what we call core values. We have 11 of them, and we just couldn't stop. We had to go up to 11, right? And two of them are about reaching people that don't know Jesus, and they're so cool. And you guys probably have them memorized, but let's look at them. We build bridges, not barriers. And so we want to make sure our church is a bridge to those that don't know Christ. We don't want them to come in and feel like they're in a Christian country club and they don't belong. And I think you guys do a remarkable job. Uh, I am so excited, Borman, Warren, TCI, online. We do a great job making people feel welcome. And I wanna give it up for us. Can we give it up one more time, guys? Oh yeah. This made Jesus the most angry and none of us wanna do it, right? And, and then when we get out there in the community, we have to ask ourselves, am, am, am I living a certain way? Do I say certain things? Do I harp on certain things? Do I have a bandwagon here, a bandwagon there that literally push people away from me? Or am I cool enough to cool my jets and say, well, that's 
That's what I believe is Joe the citizen, but I want to reach their soul for Jesus. And I don't care if they think different than me. I don't care who they are. I don't care how they live. I want to bring them to Christ. And it's a, it just changes everything when that's our attitude. And then uh, our second core value, and you guys, we love this, right? No perfect people allowed, right? If someone accepts Christ that you know, it was like those ladies in my story. We want them to come. We want them to grow. Those ladies grew, guys. Those ladies stayed at church. Uh, their handler was so mad, he got my number and called me. And he said, you took my ladies and I'm going to kill you. And uh, that's what happened. That, that was the conversation. And, 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 and I said, well, Jesus took them. So you need to go after Jesus, not me. <laughs> I didn't take them. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, I tell you what, I was so fearful. I worked midnights at a convenience store. I, I told the police officer that came in, you know, for a coffee every night. I said, I had a handler call me and saying he's going to kill me. So could you come by? He came by extra. And for about three months, I looked over my shoulder just in total fear. But I'm still alive. He never came after me. I did share Jesus with him, but he didn't want to hear it at the time. But I have to believe those words worked in him. I'd love to meet him someday and see he's serving Jesus. But guys, the heart of God is for us to realize people aren't perfect. Even after we accept Jesus, don't we still have a lot of hang-ups, man? And when I first came to church, I, I, I was not perfect, and I'm still not perfect. Here's the thing, and I'll close with this. Some of us are, are living more holy than others because we've been Christians longer, but you realize if we were to compare ourselves to the standard of Jesus, we still are very flawed. There's so many things we have to change and grow in, right? And, and I always say, I'm so glad Jesus doesn't show me all my farts. Uh, not farts, but uh, <laughs> faults. At least it sounded like it came out that way. <laughs> uh, I better stop while I'm ahead. But I, I, I'm so glad, I'm so glad he doesn't show me all my faults um, because I would die of a heart attack if I saw how bad I am. But you know what? He washed me in the blood. He took my punishment. He took your punishment. And so he's not angry with us, but we want to we please him. So we're going to pray right now before I get in any more trouble. <laughs> I thought of funny things to say, and I'm not going to say them. So let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Borman and TCI online here in Warren. And, and Lord, here's our heart's prayer. If, if there are any tables in our life that we need to allow you to turn over. Would you do that right now? Lord, if we lost sight of the harvest that you told us to pray that the Lord would stir us up and send us, would you, would you knock those tables, those attitudes over in our lives, Lord? And Lord, would you give us stronger desires for these things? And we thank you, Lord. We've heard so many great messages on this subject over the last three, four months. And thanks for continuing to remind us. And Jesus, thanks for showing us what made you mad so we can avoid those things and we can please you with our attitudes and our lifestyles. And Lord, as a church, I thank you for these incredible people. I thank you for the great job we do in this area. But Lord, if you can grow us more, if there's something we could do better, would you please show us, Lord God? Show us if we can build more bridges and better bridges and open doors of utterance, uh, doors where we can share as individuals and as a church, Lord. And we thank you for those opportunities to share Christ. Lord, our hearts are open as we go through the week, open up our eyes to these things. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're still in an attitude of prayer. If you're listening right now, maybe in Borman, maybe 
our campus at TCI Correctional Facility, maybe online, maybe here in Warren, and you're not sure of your eternity, here's the promise. Jesus died so you can live. He gave his life, and if you believe in him, he said, you'll never perish, and he'll give you the gift of eternal life. He'll wash your sins away. He took our punishment. I like that. Oh, I'm so glad he took my punishment. I'm so glad he took your punishment. That means we're not going to get what we deserve because we accepted Christ as our Savior. And if you're listening and you can't remember a day when you prayed and accepted Jesus, my big question for you is why not today? Why not today? He said, if you call on my name, I'll save you. So if you're listening and God's stirring your heart and you say, that's me, would you pray with us right now and just mean it from your heart? Can the rest of us help them pray and just say this after me? Say, Father God, I realize I was born sin-stained and I need a savior. I repent of my sins and I look to Jesus. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. You died for the sins of the entire world. God raised you out of that grave and you're alive. So I repent of my sins. I accept you as savior and I make a decision this day to follow you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at Believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.